EA turning over a new leaf. Time for name changes. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett, back and alongside me, Mr. Saw Bridges, bringing you guys lucky episode 107. 107.2. Yeah. Because this is the second time we've had to record this episode due to a computer failure. Yeah, man, you gotta love equipment and everything that can go wrong. I'm gonna keep but, my eye on OBS over there throughout the episode. Yeah, so it's if a good you see idea. Me looking at the monitor. Listen, that's why. so there's a chance because now we are more strapped for time since we just threw about an hour down the down the hole. Um, we're this episode might be a little more short than usual, but we're just gonna go back on it and try and get as much done as we can. Thankfully, we didn't get to the meaty topic yet, so it won't feel so bad when we get there. Yeah. Uh, but with that said, we are Triangle Square, a PlayStation podcast. We talk PlayStation and its competitors and anything that has to do with it, like in this case, excuse me, EA uh, and some of its things going on, as well as name changes, which we'll get to in a little bit with the community's take section. But with that said, you can listen to us uh, or watch us in video format on YouTube every Monday at 10 a.m. PST and 12 p.m. CST. If you like what we're doing over here, uh, subscribe, hit the bell notification, let you know when these go live every other Monday and then, or every Monday and every other Friday for our reader mail segments. And you'll start to be getting, uh, also, if you subscribe there, you'll be seeing our uh, off-topic podcast starting very soon, which we'll talk about and announce probably in a separate video. Uh, with that said, if you don't want to watch our ugly mugs, then you can... Also, find us on podcast services, be it on computers or phones, Apple, Android, does not matter, iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify. If it has podcasts on there, you can find us. Uh, and if it doesn't, for some reason, if we're not on there, you let us know. We'll get it fixed. Uh, let's see. If you want to chime in because you are not on YouTube and you're listening through the podcast services and you want to give your thoughts on some of these episodes, you can do so by catching us on Twitter at Triangle SQD, uh, SQRD. And you can find us on Facebook at Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. Ask to join that group. We'll gladly let you in. If you want to see our moment-to-moment day-to-day lives, then you can do so by clicking into the Discord, which is in the description of everywhere that you can find these. Click in, uh, hop in there, have fun with us. If you also want to just find it on the Twitter, we tend to keep it around there. And let's see, lastly... If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do so at for as little as a dollar, and it goes a long way with us, and you can get things like early episodes if you just want to support content that you like. We also appreciate that. And the $5 tier gets some cool things of its own. And we can retire, so we don't have to be pressed for time. <laughs> if enough of you... If enough yeah, of if we you didn't got, have to work, it'd be a whole other yeah. bar game. Well, you guys get two of these a week, maybe. Official work, I should I'd say. I'd probably full-time stream, so for those that want Saw plays, <laughs> it'd be full-time. Uh, uh, lastly, I guess, the, what I will say, really lastly, uh, I've Slacked off, on, slacked off on this a little bit. Uh, wherever you listen to us, if there's an ability for you to give us a review and you like what we're doing, consider giving us a review. It lets us know how we're doing. Let's other people know whether you like the show, whether the show is worth their time, which we hope it is. Uh, we strive to try and be better every episode and do the best we can uh, to make this show enjoyable for you guys. And we've had a lot of good feedback lately, so glad to hear it. Uh, let's move on, though. Saul, start to show off the right way. I already know, but you know what? The listeners don't. So what you been playing this week? What you been doing? Sekiro and Destiny 2. Okay. been my two main games. Yeah. Uh, technically, I dabbled in the Phoenix Wright collection on Switch with a little bit of Tetris 99 and Grand Theft Auto 5 on PC for the roleplay uh, servers. So, yeah. Still playing Tetris 99, huh? Oh, yeah. I, not much, though. Not, not much. Not, not as much? I probably played 500 games of Tetris within the first month of that game coming out, and now I've played about 100 since. So it's my go-to thing for like if I'm if I want something to like, I get these weird like boredoms with games like where I just want to mash buttons, 
And, and you just want the tactile feeling of a controller in your hand? Well, I want something that's like uh, nothing slow like a turn-based game, but something fast. And Resogun has always been my go-to game for that, but now Tetris 99 is. Twitch-based kind of action games, but I guess yeah, to an extent because when you're playing something like Tetris 99, which throws in a bunch of random... Well, you're having to look all around the screen for people targeting you, who you're targeting. And all people, your, yeah, exactly. If people shapes. throw something to you, you've got yeah. to kind of quickly adjust what your plan was. You have to look at your next shapes and see what you're going to do in the next uh, three or four turns. So, yeah. I'm with you. Whenever we were doing that little stint of competitive Call of Duty playing, even though that's not normally what I'm into... It was weirdly fun, just if nothing else, because of like the quick Twitch based, like it's all just about mashing buttons and doing what you can. I mean, that's why I like Dark Souls so much. Yeah, you know, there's skill involved too, but it's like it, there's a weird funness to when that's what your whole goal is. Yeah. Uh, and actually, that goes to tie into what I've been playing. So I think I talked about it last episode, but I wasn't very far. Um, I have been playing only Hollow Knight. And, you know, uh, when Saul was first starting to play it, whenever he, or whenever it was first coming out and Saul was playing it, uh, he would, you know, I was asking him how far he was into it, and he he said like 30, 35 hours, and I thought that was insane at the time because you know you think about other Metroidvanias, they tend not to be that deep. They just they they, they definitely in our common age. I mean, I don't think that the most recent uh, blood. Uh, Bloodstained. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think it was very long You could be Bloodstained, depending on which one you get. I don't think... Is the full one out yet? No. Okay, yeah, the one that's... Curse uh, of the Moon, I think. $10, yeah. You could be that in less than an hour. Yeah, so, again, that's just one of those. And then you have games that are a little different, where you have the... the, I guess the Guacamelee-style Metroidvanias that are a little more platforming and action-y. Then you have games that are a, a little more true to what they're aiming to be with combat being a big deal and a lot of secrets. Uh, and that is, you know, is more of the actual traditional Castlevania style, um, and a little bit more limited combat. But what I'll say is that what I've been doing with, uh, Hollow Knight, one of the things I love, you said that you play, um, you know, when you go to play the Dark Souls games is because of like the Twitch, like how quick you gotta be. Mm -hmm. And I've been loving that in Hollow Knight. You know, I said that it started off kind of simple in the combat side. And even though absolutely did. Yeah. Yeah. And even though I honestly still primarily use just the nail, it's like learning how much you can do with just a nail and how maneuver, like how much you can maneuver with just a nail makes it really cool. Cause I've got all of the nail arts now, the, the cool moves you can do like the big slashes and stuff. But a lot of the time you're moving so quickly and trying to take in so much information that you get to this point where it's like, I don't need that. I just need my nail. I just need my nail. Yeah. And, and maybe a spell if I have a quick opening where I can do a quick spell, but nine times out of 10, uh, I focus on just trying to get my movements down. Cause I, I know, Notice that a lot of it, it's similar to what I said about Dark Souls not truly being hard and, or difficult or whatever you want to call it. And I, some people, I think Blake said it was disingenuous to say that. And I don't completely agree that it's disingenuous. I think to an extent, it's that even in Hollow Knight, I found that a lot of the times that I start, that I die a lot with a boss uh, early on is because I'm trying to do it too quickly and I'm fighting my own instinct because or, or I'm not fighting my own instinct. Sometimes it's about just realizing what the game's asking for you. And there's been a lot of bosses in Hollow Knight where I've calmed down, really thought about what the point of it is, and then go, I need to stop focusing so much on damage. I need to move. The perfect lesson with Dark Souls and Sekiro and Bloodborne is is that same lesson, is that you need to pay attention to what the boss is doing, how to counter that, what you could do, when you can get in to attack the boss. And that's a lot of Staying safe, yeah. It's openings. The game is just telling you to wait for openings. Stop being so aggressive. 
And if you can squeeze in an aggressive opening and get one without getting hit, awesome. It's even better, you know, but it's learn how much you can stretch yourself. So the games can be more difficult because you make them more difficult on yourself by, by going when you're not supposed to and trying to get that one extra hit in. But if you just follow what the game's doing, they always give you clear openings of when you're supposed to get in and get out. And that may mean that it takes longer than what you wish it would, but the game has a pretty easy set in stone thing that all you're all it's asking you to do is pay attention and learn what it's doing. And it's been so much fun. I've enjoyed every aspect of the game. And I also love how it takes the two sides of Metroidvanias that we have these days like something a little more action platformery like guacamole that's a little bit shorter but has a lot of fun in the movement and by the time that you start to hook up on a lot of stuff and get like the crystal heart which lets you charge and then fly in one direction really far you get a lot of these same feelings where it's like oh there's a lot of cool ways that they've made platforming more fun and more incorporated than they did early game but they still have the long big worlds of depth that you'd expect from some of these games and a lot of hidden secrets. So I've been incredibly impressed with Hollow Knight and I can't go back and change it, but I think if I would have played Hollow Knight last year, it definitely would have ended up being my indie game of the year. Uh, I I mean, I still think the other games that I mentioned, which is Death's Gambit and even uh, Dead Cells, were both really good. And they're great games. I still enjoyed my time with them, but there's something about this that's just so much more special. And... I I mean it's it's such a cool use of a world and there's a lot of small lore and stuff that you can find just on your own that I love. One of the smallest things and then I'll move on. Did you notice Saul when you're when you're selling to the guy uh in the City of Tears who wants the old artifacts from you? He's the relic finder. Uh and every time yeah. you sell him something he tells you a new piece of lore that goes into deepening the game's lore and how the world's been and like why it's in the state that it is or at least why it's bad that it's in the state that it's in in comparison to what it was. Like I thought it was really cool that there, I turned in one that was a wanderer's journal and he said, oh, this one's great. It's a stone slab. He goes, this came from before the city hit hard times and had to start using silk spun from spider's web. He goes, when it's rainy as it stays here, it ruins the papers. Okay, and I thought mind. that was cool. I thought you were about to say something else. There's one item that I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Okay. I thought you were going the route of something, and I was like, "Well, I might have seen it, but I'm trying to also stay." I'm also free-ish. trying to say, yeah. So we can talk about that when we get done, if we remember. Uh, but yeah, I think that's 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 all I've been playing, and uh, outside of it not being on Vita, that's the only thing wrong with it. I've been so compelled to play that game. Uh, and I'm loving it. So uh, we're going to move on, though. Uh, we're going to hit the community's uh, take section. And part of that, it, it goes ties in all with the news of the name changes. And so what I'll do is I'll hit the news part of it first, and then we can go into both community thought and some of their, uh, you know, what, whether they did or didn't kind of play. So, of course, if you don't know, for some reason, PSN ID changes went live on PS4 this week for all users. This is really shortly after... They talked about name changes in the recent refund policy that they uh, fixed at the beginning of this month or at least somewhat improved upon on what it was. Uh, so this allows users to change their ID for free the first time and then for a $9.99 fee the second time if you're a non-plus user and any time afterwards or $4.99 if you're a plus user and any time that you do it after the first one. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that the potential for issues that were available or that were in the beta and they warned about in the beta are still here with many users creating an ongoing list uh, for games that seem to be affected by the change. So if you have any questions or are worried about one of your favorite games might be affected by this somehow, some way, go check out these lists and at least use it as a point of reference. They're not all true in terms of some people experience these problems and some people don't, but 
you can at least get an idea of how much it seems to be a problem and if you want to take that risk. Um, so the cooler part of this, though, and this is one thing I want to bring in, is that this comes alongside Sony no longer banning accounts for offensive names. So if you remember, and we looked it up on the, uh, last time, thankfully we have the information more readily available on our minds now. Um, Sony about a year and a half ago, I want to say, maybe a little bit longer, um, banned a user who was an eight-year-old PSN account at the time and because his name was King M-A-D-A-F-A-K-A, so King Madafaka, which of course, you know, we try to keep it clean, but that's just a joke. And it it kind of brought him to the point of like, you know, the great thing about this is at the time he lost access to everything. But now that does mean that if this happens, for whatever reason it is, that a name that you've had forever that never has been a problem comes up and instead of getting the chance to be banned, if your name is found offensive, instead they'll automatically change your ID and opt to do that instead. Now, there's still a risk that by changing your ID, you it's unfortunate that if your name is something that when you made the account was not offensive, but has over time become more offensively tied that you could risk your name being changed for you by a filter catching your name, uh, changing your name, then you potentially losing out on trophies, DLC or whatever. So there's not all free and clear, but you hope that within reason that doesn't happen too much and that you're still afforded the reason to, I would hope that you'd be able to appeal with Sony and, do you remember one of the things you can do uh, if you change your name, it shows your original name in the comments beside because the new name is like a nickname. So you see a parentheses with your original username in the side. And Sony mentioned that you can revert to your old name for any reason if you have problems and that it should clear them all up. Yeah, that was true during the beta phase. And I haven't seen that change now. You would hope that if that situation happens where a filter catches your name for whatever reason that you'd be able to appeal with Sony say, Hey, uh, you changed my name unfairly. In my opinion, this is a name I created all these years ago. Back then there was no negative ties to the name. Uh, and I've lost access to this, this, and this are these trophies because of it. Can we change my name back? And hopefully they would. Um, but what we'll go ahead and do right now is we'll bring in to what we asked the community and where we went with it was a poll question on Facebook and on Twitter. And then also we pulled in on our discord, a new communities take segment for us to discuss these things. And across the board, the majority of people said no to the question of with PSN name changes finally hitting, have you changed your ID yet or plan to, if so, what'd you change your name from and why, and why didn't you, if you did not, um, Justin Rowe, new listener and a new patron. Thank you very much, sir. Hope you still continue to enjoy the show. It's He says, I'm nervous to do it. I like going through my PS3 trophies from early days when I'm feeling nostalgic and look at the time and date that I got them. Almost teleports me back to that moment. For that reason, I'm stuck with my name forever. And I love that he says that because it's, it's just a weird thing that I think a lot of people would probably look over. But I actually did this just the other day, and that's why I thought it was so funny to see it. Uh, I was going through my trophies and just looking at old games I'd forgotten not even played. Some of them were just old cheap Codemasters published games from early PS3 days. And some of them were games. I also went to my buddy Holt's PS, uh, PSN trophies to look at games that we had played really early on. Some that I'd played on his PlayStation without my account attached to it at all. Um, and it was fun to do that. So not wanting to lose that is reasonable. And it's a, it's one of those risk reward things where right now, Sony's in a position where a lot of people, and it's pretty much what I heard across the board as to why they didn't, is that the risk was too great for the reward. So a lot of people didn't hate their name enough to want to just go ahead and take the risk of losing anything. Now, you know, somebody else on here, let's just go to people that did change their name. Uh, 
Corey Crash Hickerson, good friend of the show. Love him. Congratulations on your wedding, buddy. Hope you're doing all right. Haven't seen you in a little bit since then, but we will fix that soon, hopefully. Uh, he says, I changed it. Haven't had any problems, thankfully. And uh, he changed his name from Worst Drummer to uh, Crash the Animal underscore, because apparently somebody took the Crash the Animal. Not surprising. Um, it kind of it is for me, at least. You didn't think it was going to be taken? No, that's a kind of a unique username. Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, yeah, who knows? But anyway... Uh, Mostly, like I said, it was mirrored that people just didn't want to or the age-old thing of people who just felt lucky enough that they didn't think that they picked a name that was too silly to them now to feel the need to change it, Yeah, uh, which is pretty good. Um, so there's that. Uh, across the board, it was no. They hadn't, and they didn't plan to. Uh, but the few they people who Blaze are, in our Discord who said he did. Yeah, there was another one who said they did. Uh, and then we have other people. I know Kiki was worried about doing it because he didn't want to risk any problems with any of his games, specifically Final Fantasy fourteen. I think is what he brought but up. I think somebody actually pointed out that your name on that game is stored on the server, so it would be fine if you did. Exactly, so. and, it's a, and it's from the screening side of things yes. anyway. So um, server-side stuff shouldn't be as big of an issue. Uh, now, one of the things we want to talk about with this is that these are two things in a very short window that Sony's done that are moves in the right direction, we think. Uh and, you know, last week we got the refund policy. And even though it's not perfect, and I still think there's room for change and room for improvement, it shows that they're not just ignoring it and that they're working towards something. And then we also have now name changes. Again, not perfect, but you can hope. One of the things brought up by the community actually uh, was over on Twitter. Mr. Josh Ayers says, it's great. It's there. I hope with PS5 they have some network layout, some new network layout to make it all work and easy, but I'd worry about if that would force people to transfer stuff or what. I have too many trophies to risk it. Again, echoing that risking sentiment, not wanting to do that. Uh, the only thing about this comes down to some of these changes, definitely on this side, it's I don't know that we'll ever get past that because it would take Sony having to drop everything and build a new one. I don't think enough users would want to drop that. Definitely with the plan of a backwards compatibility from everything we can tell. We don't know for sure, but with what looks to be like a backwards compatible PS5, people are not going to want to ditch any of their game's licenses moving forward if that's going to be a thing. And it would be not worth Sony's effort to be able to manually transfer all these things over. So there's that. So yeah. anything else you want to add to that? No, yeah. It's a cool tool for those that uh, that want to change their name but don't care about their trophies or anything like that. So yeah. now you finally get to change your name. One of the things you said last time that we recorded that I really thought was interesting is the double-edged sword side of trophies, uh, definitely a platinum, is that... Yeah, it almost gives you a second life to do it again. Like, if it takes away your platinums and stuff, there are games like Bloodborne... The order that I don't typically want to go back and play, just because I got the platinum in it, there's nothing left for me to do except the Bloodborne, which is speedrunning. Yeah, but your motivation comes back now because it's like, yeah, I'm tired like, all those again. Yeah, it's like I could go back and do the order again. It only took me like 12-ish hours, I think, of actual in-game time. Yeah, and you get that little shot of dopamine when you get a trophy. Even if it's one you've gotten before, it still feels good to get a trophy. It's yeah. just a thing. So, so But th that, that is funny because, you know, like you in that situation, you said there's games that you'd go back to and play again that you otherwise don't feel like you would because of the Platinum being there. Yeah, which is the order. I would never go back yeah, to Yeah, which for there. me, I played the order one time after Platinuming it, and I didn't even Platinum it until the third time just because I, I liked the game enough. Uh, but it, it goes to show, for me, I tend to try and use the Platinum as a stop, like, for everything it feels like a great cap for everything yeah it's like oh i've done everything this game demands of me and i can put it away with no regrets and i love that but it is cool to think about games that you love but you're like well you know 
the fun of the game is beating these weird challenges. Like, uh, I think a perfect game would be uh, Titan Souls for you. It's like all these weird challenges. I love Titan Souls. That's like, well, I don't know if I'd do them if I wasn't chasing the trophies. Like, I wouldn't go through and necessarily play Titan. No hit run. Yeah. No roll run. Under uh, 20 minute run. Under 20 minute run. Yeah, these are things that some people would do, but it's a nice way to get some people to experience a game in a way that wasn't normally designed for, that you don't think, though. These are things that trophies, I've always said, were like that perfect example. That one kid who was staying in is like, no, nah, man, I'm playing Titan Souls again tonight. I'm going to see if I can beat the whole game in 20 minutes. And it's like, That's a fun, and That was a fun trophy. That entire game was fun to play. See, but that was back in like the SNES days where you just made those challenges up on your own because yeah. you're like, well, that's what I want to do. I want to see if I can beat this game without getting hit a single time. It's like now you have a trophy that gives you a little still, bit more dopamine behind it. I still that. do stuff like that in Dark Souls. Like in Dark Souls 3, I did a one a level one run where I just was like, I, sure. won't, I won't level up. You don't even have a trophy for that. It's just yeah. a fun thing for you to do. So yeah, the spirit of it moves along. Uh, but we were talking with Sony moving towards these two directions. One of the things that would be cool is what other things do we feel like they're somewhat slacking behind in terms of the competition? As we've known, their network is behind a lot of people in a lot of ways. Uh, and last time we did two, so I guess I'll go ahead and let Saul hit the first one. Uh, and That's the I'll store. One. Yeah, I yeah. think the store one was a big one for you. Yeah, the store one, the store is atrocious. Uh, Sony, you got to fix this. This doesn't make sense on how bad it is. Uh, if you go to game deals or PS Plus deals, there's like so many themes and avatars that you have to wade through to find games that it takes way too long to find games. Like, just say I want to splurge and buy a game and go see what's on sale. I have to go through like tens of avatars and tens of themes to get to a, a single game. And if you go to game deals, you're you're presented with shark cards for Grand Theft Auto at the very top, nine times out of ten. So Seems- it's just like have an add-on tab for the add-ons. Have a themes tab for themes and an avatars uh, tab for avatars. Keep it out of the game stuff. Yeah. And it's very laggy. Even on my PS4 Pro, that the store is laggy. And if you click on the actual store icon, nine times out of ten, it's a blue screen. And it sits there for two or three minutes before it actually populates. Yeah, I, I still never had that problem as bad as you, but I've seen it. And I have had it once. I had it on my last PS4. This is ridiculous. Yeah, now... What's interesting about that is I've always wondered, is that something to do with the server side not keeping up, or is that on the PlayStation side? No, that has to be at the server side, I would think. It would make sense to be on the PlayStation side. Yeah, because it's weird, though. The only reason I say that is the one time I had that happen, I just closed the store and then started it back up, and it worked perfectly. You know what I mean? So it's one of those odd situations where you hope it's something that they can get a... I've seen enough people complain about it that it doesn't seem like a small group of people. Seems like enough people are having that problem with it, which I will say I tend to go on my phone and do that, all these things. And I don't have as many problems on the phone as I do on the PlayStation itself. Uh, or even on the PlayStation Store website that you can go to. Uh, One of the things that happened recently is Sony removed, and I feel like this is an odd step backward. Uh, Sony removed the platform tabs. So instead of being able to look and say, I want a PS4 game, so I'm going to click through PS4 games. That way it only shows me PS4 stuff. Now, all of it's kind of together. Now, you probably have the easiest chance at finding VR titles and PS4 titles since those are the two active things. But it's going to be weirder to try and find PS3 titles. So say you go to the store and you say, well, I only want to find PS3 titles because I'm looking for PS3 games. It's not as easy now. And that's going to be an issue, I feel like. And I don't know if this is a step towards a direction that they're going to do something else. Or maybe they're trying to remove the tab so that you lean more on the filters. But it's it makes what I consider to be an odd point of like, an odd barrier to entry for certain people in terms of just basic usability. So the yeah. other one, uh, Saul mentioned this. Uh, you know, whenever they did the copy Steam refund system, 
Well, yeah, get get to a point where the refund system's better. That's the other thing uh, in terms of getting that one better. But the other one that we had that we landed on was Saul brought up a few episodes back that the system obviously keeps up with the time that you've been playing a game and things like that and then reports it back whenever you log back in because his hours were accurate even though he played you know probably 50 hours or more uh, on Dark Souls 3 speedrunning with a patchless run so he couldn't be online. So when he gets back online, it obviously put those hours towards there and means the system keeps up with this stuff. So what I would like to see is a system side integration, very similar to what Xbox has done. Switch has got some version of this a little bit. Uh, and then I'd like to see PlayStation adopt it, which would be general system stats of things you've done on the system side. So being able to click a game and go, Oh, you've played this game 37 hours. So it's very similar to what steam does, or even you hover over it and right below it in a, in a little somewhat see through text, it says, um, time played 37 hours yeah and that would be cool i'd like that that's and if you wanted to dig in deeper that'd be awesome too it'd be, it, it would it'd be interesting to be able to see games that have multiple game modes what if you could go oh i played the multiplayer component of this game 42 hours i don't want only played the single player component nine hours so i beat the game once it's just one of those interesting things to look into but the bigger thing would be uh trophy tracking this is something that xbox has had in some form or fashion since the 360 game days, whether they were built into the games themselves, which even the PlayStation 4 and PS3 got in the way of uh, the Deadpool game. You could actually go through and look at all the trophies. You could go into the menu and see your trophy tracking within the game itself. It wasn't on the system side, but it'd be nice if the system side could look and go, trophy says you need... 10 headshots. The developers were able to plug to develop the, or, you know, whatever, implement this trophy in a way that also tracks those headshots for you and keeps a number. So when you click the trophy, it says seven out of 10 headshots. That way, you know, I only need three more. I don't have to play this guessing game. And the bigger guessing game that happens when you don't have trophy tracking is you can't like you look and you go back. Am I not getting a headshot? Is that why? Like I've, I know I just looked and headshotted 20 it's enemies, more tedious. but I haven't gotten it. Is my game glitched? Did they not consider it a headshot for some reason? At least if you had trophy tracking, you'd look and go, well, seven of the ones that I'm counting have been counted as headshots. So the game has a stricter implementation of what they consider to be a headshot, and I can keep that in mind moving forward. These are all great things, but I think it'd be cool to be able to do that, and I think most people would enjoy that that accessibility on that side of things that you can see without having to go to different websites. You know, for me to see how long I play Destiny, I can't just look on my PlayStation. I got to go to some other site and either guesstimate by not going to a site or go to a site and say, oh, man, I'm, I was surprised yeah, I played 70 hours. The third party site has this. How do we not have this? Exactly. So it'd be cool to see them implement that. Uh, but now we can move into the drop real quick, Saul, and then we'll move into news after that. Sure. For those that don't know, the drop is this week's PlayStation releases. We have Anniversary Collection Arcade Classics for PS4. Crossovers by Palgi for PS4 and PS Vita, a cross-buy title. Dark Quest 2 for PS4. Ghost Giant for PSVR. God's Trigger for PS4. Heaven's Vault for PS4. Iron Snout for PS4 and PS Vita, another cross-buy. Isn't it ironic they had God's Trigger and then Heaven's Vault like... Oh, yeah. Kind of right, interesting. Right after each other. My, my Time at Porsche for PS4. Nurse Love Syndrome Retherapy for PS Vita. Our World is Ended for PS4. What a name. That's uh, a bad name. Path to Nemesine for PS4. Please Don't Touch Anything for PS4. Quiver for PSVR. Snooker for <laughs> Snooker 19 for PS4. I say again, I'm pretty sure it's Snooker. But That's what I just you said. know what? Oh, you said it again? Uh, but you said Snooker at first. That's what you just said. How I said Snooker. Snooker. Not like you're going like Snooker. 
I mean, there's two Snooker. O's. That's what I'm saying. Snooker. I don't know what this is. It looks Snooker. like it's billiards. Pool? Yeah, it's pool. Someone uh, tell me how to pronounce this, please. We have a table of tales, the Kirky Cow for PSVR. Tarot readings premium for PS4. Tarot. Trash on coming onto their system. We have Trooper Brook. <laughs> I said this. I missed that this last time too. It's it's like a t- it's a tongue twister. You did a lot Trooper, better your first time this. Yeah, way. Trooper Brook for PS4. We have World of Warships Legends for PS4, and I just went back because my mouse pad sucks. We got World War Z, last game on the list for PS4. Yeah, World War Z has been pulling a lot of people together, but it does Literally seem... like 11 days before Days Gone comes out. And the biggest problem with that is, do you remember when they first showed Days Gone's 2016, I want to say, E3 thing, where they had the big yeah, roll the wave through? Yeah, zombies. Yeah, at the end, the, game, the first time we saw gameplay of the game immediately on Facebook, Twitter, and all these things, what I started seeing some of these more casual gaming things for people who aren't as into it, and this may be the first time they see it, a lot of people were like, they made world, they, they brought World War Z into a game, essentially. And people were like, whoa, that's awesome. The point I of reference was always somebody, World War Z. Yeah, I never once saw, saw, saw somebody say that. Though. Yeah, so, uh, well, and I, I noticed it on Facebook a lot more because there's groups, and a lot of people just join a group to be able to get this information out, where I feel like a lot of what we see on Twitter is people who are a little more kept up, and that's why they wouldn't make that comparison so quickly. But I saw a lot of people who just saw they hear a zombie game and they see a bunch of people and they go world war z for zombie for in a, in a video game form people go yeah now that kind of dilutes that because it's like well now you have another game that's doing zombie hordes and world war z was a terrible movie i haven't good seen book. it good book i haven't seen but it so i have is, no care but you got one that's a it's a book of short stories from first perspective and third sure. perspectives and then now you have a movie with brad pitt in it that <laughs> i still say i think between the two as much as i think that the world war z game doesn't look as bad as i think it could have easily been as a licensed product um i do think that of the two it's very likely for most people to want to lean towards saying that days gone will probably be more the more you know quality title for what a number of different reasons out sells days gone that would be wild that would be wild. never happen you know sony would be like well drop in <laughs> never again ben. i would i would be so sad for them too because they're a real small studio and they do good work. I'm hoping, I, I continue to, I'm hoping that Days Gone is just amazing. For I mean, I'm some sure reason. it will be. I'm sure it'll be. Well, well, I mean, like, exceeds my expectation. And I come in, I'm coming in with cautiously optimistic, as we say all the time. That's one of my favorite phrases. But I really do mean that. I love the studio. I know what they're about. I love their pedigree. But this is just an odd game for them and an odd game for me genre-wise. So I'm still going to go into it and support them just because I love them enough to do so. And I do think that it'll be fun. Uh, I just hope that it goes beyond just being a fun game to me. I hope that it blows me out of the water in every way, shape, form. Great gameplay, cool story, surprisingly. You know, I hope that it just surprises me in every manner. Um, and that would be great to see. But there is every chance in the world that it doesn't. And that's the biggest thing. It's kind of like, well... Is it really that bad if it ends up being just a fun game? But the bigger kicker would be if for some reason World War Z outsells it. It's pretty much impossible. It's 100% impossible. But now you've got me wondering. I'm going to be scouring them numbers day of release. Um, All right, let's see. I'm going to go ahead and move into the rest of the news. First thing up, Patrice Desolais, creator of Assassin's Creed and also highly involved with the Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time trilogy, uh, was working on a game called Amsterdam 1666. Now, this was with THQ Montreal, uh, and this was before they went under. So when THQ went under, uh, this was after Patrice left Ubisoft. He went to THQ. THQ went under, and Ubisoft ended up buying the property alongside a lot of other THQ properties like the South Park game. Uh, 
um, as well, the game franchise. So what happened there is that that pulled the game back into Ubisoft's umbrella, which was what Patrice had left them for. He didn't want to be under Ubisoft. They kind of had some like back and forth, and this is back in like 2012, 13, whatever it was, um, and it ended up being that once they took the project back over, Desolate ended up getting essentially fired slash quitting at the same time. And he ended up having a fight for the rights for the game back. Now, he won them back in 2016. So I remember that at the Game Awards, when they showed off the Ancestors, the Humankind Odyssey game, which is one that sees you playing as like a, 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 an ape hominoid or something like that, uh, and running around and kind of evolving with them throughout the ages. Um, it was cool. I'm like, okay, that's an interesting idea for a game. I don't know if it's for me, but it's an interesting idea for a game. But I was more struck by the fact that the first game I'm seeing him come back with was an Amsterdam 60, uh, 1666. So for anybody who does know about that game I'm talking about, and if you don't, go check it out. It does look interesting. Uh, he says he will be making the game, but he's going to be starting from scratch. So if you have any interest in it, thankfully not all hope is lost, and maybe it'll still come out as a better game because of it. We'll see. Um, Next up, Horizon Zero, Zero Dawn's sequel was teased by actress uh, Janina Gavonker. If I'm not saying that right, I'm sorry. Uh, who had a role in the first game's DLC, and she's also, you may recognize her face, as the main female protagonist of some sort, at least I didn't play the story, of Battlefront 2. Uh, I definitely the saw main her one. There. I thought she was the main character. So, um... To me, this is interesting. I saw a lot of people being like, oh man, they finally, they, oh man, they confirmed they're working on a sequel. It's not surprising. The first game was recently announced to sell 10 million copies. Uh, that's very rare for a new IP to do. Uh, ju- I mean, you know, by comparison, and to be fair, it wasn't considered a sales, just lighting on fire, but uh, the Order 1866 uh, or 1886 sold around 2 million. Uh, so, or very close to me. I think it was more like 1.8. It's one of those examples where 10 million is pretty rare for a new IP. They did incredibly well. And Sony have talked about this uh, back in June of last year. I want to say they were at 250 employees and they were working towards getting them a new studio space to where they can expand up. Uh, and they've extend, they've already expanded into another extra room to fit the amount of people they have. But Sony is scaling uh, Guerrilla Games, the studio behind it, up to 400 employees. And they're using this as an example. That what they're saying is that they're using this to help release new IP and sequels uh, more quickly. Uh, so... This is not surprising at all. The more thing is that with 400 employees, you'd be able to easily make another game. So what I'm trying to figure out, what is their game coming? What other game will they have besides Horizon? Or will they let Horizon take over Killzone as the game I think they'll let Horizon take over Killzone, honestly. That they make sequels for. And then we might see the second team come up with a new IP again. Because they far, specifically mentioned new IP. How far away is Horizon from Alcel and um, uh, Killzone Shadowfall? Uh, should have already been done. Killzone Shadowfall at launch sold over two million, which okay, at so launch yeah, is pretty good. Done. So yeah, it's, it's been done then. You know, um, um, yeah. So like, I, I first see it overtaking it. It's more of an interesting series. Well, and it's a bigger genre these days. You know, shooters aren't as big as they were. Right, and so, Killzone's more of an interesting series to me. But um, that doesn't mean Horizon's bad. I think if they fix a little bit of uh, Alloy's personality, we'll have a really good game on. Well, our I hands. think if we just get less flat characters. There was recently a Twitter conversation I was having with uh, a user about. I think Aloy's of all people has the most right to be somewhat flat because she's been an outcast her entire life. But when you look at all these other cast of characters that have been around tons of other people and understand social cues and stuff, why are they so flat? Yeah. And that was the bigger thing is that the supporting cast was so dry and flat and they're, 
their weight in the game didn't seem too great. But there's some weird facial animations. I, I, I don't not, wanna, not common. Yeah, but. I don't want to crap all over the game. I actually really love the game, and combat was my main reason for loving it. And the world, secondly, and a cool story, despite somewhat flat characters. But uh, I think Killzone has all those same things. They don't. It's not really about the story as much as the world, the lore, the gameplay that I loved about Killzone. So I hope that we haven't seen the last of Killzone. But if we have, for Horizon, that's okay. It's been a good run for Sony and, of course, the studio behind it as well. Next thing up, though, uh, for those waiting on reviews for Days Gone, as we were talking about, uh, before deciding to grab it or skip it, the embargo for the game is set to lift on April 25th, which is just one day prior to its April 26th release, but at least you get that much so that you can decide whether you want to pick it up day of or not. Uh, next game, Frostpunk, a city-building survival game originally released on PC, is making its way to consoles this summer. Developer 11-Bit Studios is working hard to translate the PC consoles or the PC controls into sensible and smooth console controls. The first official trailer for the game is out, and it's showing a cool, like, wintry steampunk aesthetic, which makes sense for its name, uh, Frostpunk. Uh, but if you want to check it out and you like those style of games, it's kind of somewhere in between that, you know, survival while also being a little bit simulator-ish, but I don't know. It's kind of a weird genre. What would you consider that? Because it's kind of like, as much as I love, like the Civ games have their own weird thing too, where it's like you're building up an empire, but it's more, it's like you're simulating that side of things. I would say it's But a, it's not really fantasy, simulation. It's fantasy like, simulation. That might be a good way to word it. And yeah. they might actually have a word for it. I don't know, because I've only played those kind of sparsely. I, I've, I've not really played them every time they come out, but I enjoy them. I think they're cool games, so. Yeah. Um, all right, next up, this one's kind of interesting, Saul. Uh, we know forever from software, you know, Miyazaki has talked about his approach to storytelling is very kin to uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And so he said where he got the thing, well, he couldn't read the books, so he would just look at them and make up stories for what was going on around them. Which uh, is uh, very coincidentally something very similar how Alton Zelda was created. Yeah, so w when you look at stuff like that, he's talked about that he uses Dungeons and Dragons style and even that where it's more about you interacting with the world to learn more about the world. It's almost less about the characters themselves and more the world and the story at large. And I think that's evident in every one of his games. And probably with the most character-driven one being Sekiro of all now. And even then, I don't think it's incredibly character-driven. It just has a little bit more characters to it. And it's a little more focused on who you are since you're a set character. Right. Um, but he says in a recent interview uh, that he did for a keynote at Reboot Develop, which is a you know, kind of a, what we would call a convention going on. Uh, he spoke with Gen Studios slash former Team Ico Fumita Ueda, which is Fumito Ueda, which is the guy behind Ico Shadow Colossus, and of course the most recent The Last Guardian, which is a cool. I, I, I want to listen to the rest of this discussion. There was a translator there, so you can probably find it and listen to it the rest of the way. There was some stuff where Ueda talked about only getting into games because he wanted to be an artist, but he didn't think he could make money in them, so he became a developer because he thought he could kind of bridge the two, which right. is cool. Uh, but oh, Miyazaki, uh, he says that he wants to one day work on a story-focused game in the way of Red Dead Redemption 2. He specifically calls that name out, uh, citing the difference in design between the two and the development styles between the two. Uh, and he talked, it was really an interesting talk because he was talking about like in the Souls games, they've got to do all the level planning and stuff kind of first and then work the story into that uh, around the level planning because he goes, you know, something as simple as changing the way the levels will be designed can change the way the story needs to play out and the way that you're going to utilize the characters in that part of the world. Um, yeah. And so they talked about like kind of the backwards side of it, whereas a game like Red Dead, he talked about, puts story at the forefront and then does the rest around that. 
And so it's kind of interesting that he said he wants to do that. I don't expect that to be that From Software is going to be making a game like this anytime soon. You know, they've been wanting but, a new Armored Core style mech game. If they can mix Armored Core and Souls and make it a uh, cinematic uh, story game, that'd be pretty dope. That'd be interesting. Armored right? Souls with uh, Souls difficulty with the story of uh, Evangelion. I'm going to stretch. <laughs> okay. That does sound pretty cool. Yeah, so we'll see if that ends up coming to fruition. There's been rumors about them wanting to do a big open world game, uh, and that would be an interesting thing to see. So, uh, anyway, next up, and uh, it's pretty good for them. Gunfire Games recently did a Q and A uh, for their new game plus. So, Darksiders Three is getting the new game plus treatment, uh, and they revealed the full patch notes for this. So, the mode will be called Armageddon, and this is kind of cool. It goes through, it's more than just a typical New Game Plus where you just get to play through again. It's one that has multiple levels of difficulty, uh, and there's nine of them to be precise, with each unlocked when completing the difficulty before it. So if you, you know, beat Armageddon 1, you unlock Armageddon 2. Uh, this does a thing where each new tier brings with it new item drops and new encounters as well, so that it changes up the way that the game's step-by-step pacing is. That way you don't just always go, well, there's someone around this corner and someone at that corner. What is up with the games coming out in New Game Plus after they release? That's a weird trend. I think a lot of it comes down to... I, I genuinely, like planned, then... I genuinely think in Darksiders 3 case, this comes from a point of they didn't know how well the game was going to do. Why put the funds into it if the game underperforms? If the game performs well enough, you can develop this and give people a reason to come back. As long to as it. they start charging for New Game Plus. Yeah, and they're I'll not. Good. This is You're cool. Right. This is free. Yeah. yeah. Now, if they start adding New Game Plus 599, I'm like, sure. You're yeah. developer blacklisted <laughs> for me now. Never well, going to pick up your crappy games. This brings with it some other stuff. So you get the ability to upgrade armor now, which was not in the game, with a new item called Oblivion Ore that you can get. Uh, there's three new trophies being added to the game that are in relation to the Armageddon mode. You also get the option to hide your HUD, flip the Y-axis, and a ton more. If you want to check these uh, notes out, you can go find them. Uh, if you even picked up Darksiders 3, if you haven't, it was a pretty good game. If you like the Darksiders franchise, uh, it does take a more Souls-like aspect on it. But what was cool, they also came back after the game launched to listen to some fan feedback and uh, this was brought up actually by Sean One Neo. Um, they had their artistic vision. This ties into what we were talking about last episode. But what they did, they heard enough fan feedback. And I think the reason that I honestly think that they did this is because the Darksiders series doesn't even have a specific, like, really when you think about it, it's like you understand the art and the characters and the, and the stories that are all connected while being different characters and different gameplay styles. It's like, it's still happening under the same world and they're happening at the same time in some senses, but every dark Siders game plays differently already. So I think that when they realized that people said this felt too far off that they were like, okay, but well we can go back and make it feel a little more dark siders E while still keeping the design aspect we went to and making this a little more souls like as well. So they did that in a lot of ways with changing mechanics that were more traditional classic dark siders to an extent. And I applaud them for that partially because they wanted to do it. I mean, if they, if, if Sekiro and from came back and said, we listened to fan feedback and we have decided that, it does fit in best with what we want. And now that they've said this, that we want to add these, I don't think it's necessary, but if they decide they do it, I mean, I respect the, the want of the developer, essentially. Yep. The dev so. decisions are their decisions and I respect them. Exactly. So I may not always agree up, with them, but I respect them. <laughs> yeah. Last thing up, uh, and we're going to use this to kind of pivot into uh, the other main topic. One of them kind of was, I guess, talking about the community's take section. But this one is, of course, the fact that we saw Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order officially revealed with a teaser of few days before EA and Respawn finally showed us a trailer at the reveal event they had, which is yesterday. Um, so that's the one upside to us ending up having to record on 
Sunday due to weather. Trying to trying to knock the camera down with the force push. It ain't working. And I, I you didn't even move. Everybody it. in their life did it wiggle. At everybody, least? everybody tell them yeah it wiggled. Everybody in their life at one point has tried to use the force. Don't lie. Oh, absolutely. Don't lie. You know how many kids, and it's one of those universal stories where it's like everybody at one point in time had a box fan that they talked into the back of to try and somewhat sound like Darth Sound Vader. like a robot. Yeah, it's like yeah. you're just doing what you can. To yeah. Look. <laughs> uh, Cameron Monaghan is uh, the main character of this game, and that yes. is fantastic. He is a really good actor. Uh, you may know him from uh, The Joker in Gotham. Yep. And you also may know him in... Um, He's in Shameless. Ba- uh, Shameless, Bamble... Bramble Snatch? What is that uh, movie called? It's the... Um, I don't know about that one. It's the... Uh, but even though I don't care for Gotham as a show, Black really, movie. I do like him as an actor and what they took him into with what he did for... Oh, Bandersnatch. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Who is he in Bandersnatch? He's the the Bond dude. The game developer. No, that's the guy from... Oh, yeah, that's right. That's the guy from... Dang, why do Maze I always Runner. get them confused? Yeah, I always get them confused. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Both good actors. But yeah, I always get those they are two both good actors. wildly confused for some reason. All right, well, anyway, we'll go through the rest of this. So the trailer featured a new protagonist, like he said. Uh, it's original story. We already kind of actually knew that from what they said. And it showed what looks to be, this is the coolest part. In that trailer, they showed a couple of different things. A lot of it was cinematic shots. Uh, but they did show specifically, and you could tell that they were doing this on purpose, they're bringing in a respawn staple in the way of wall running, and that's I right. think that's cool. This guy's uh, Sid from Toy Story. Yeah, <laughs> it's what he looks like. But yeah, there's a couple of people that picked up on that in the trailer of like the wall running. You're like, okay, that's going to be kind of cool. Yeah, I'm and I think iffy. it fits the style. I am really excited for this game, but I'm really iffy about two things. Well, before we get to those, let me finish the rest of this information. So the game will feature lightsaber combat. Even though it's respawn and they've done shooters since they've come around, uh, that's not what they're doing here. It will be lightsaber combat. The developer is promising single player only, absolutely no multiplayer. Here's where it gets interesting. No loot boxes, no man- no microtransactions, and in probably the most odd move for EA, uh, it's not incredibly odd because of Apex, but we don't know where Apex came into the, the route of EA wholly owning respawn, which happened about a year ago. Uh, versus they were just being a publisher partner like they were during the Titanfall 1 and 2 era. So with that said, the game is not running on the Frostbite engine, which has been known by every developer that works on it outside of the people using it for shooters, essentially, uh, DICE specifically, uh, the people who created the engine, (laughs) nonetheless. Uh, It's an engine that's given a ton of people problems and it's plagued every developer that's really messed with it because it's not made for the uses that EA is trying to shoehorn it into. Uh, so the game is instead using Epic's Unreal Engine 4. So we'll kind of dissect that stuff in a minute. But for now, let's kind of talk about general impressions of what you thought from what you saw. So what are your two worries that you're uh, going Two into? worries is that um, the lacking of the Frostbite engine, the wall running is not going to feel like Titanfall, I don't think. Titanfall was not on Frostbite. Oh, yeah, that's right. To specify. Why do I keep... I always keep thinking that for some reason. So that's the um, biggest thing. Respawn... What is Titanfall on? I think it was an in-house custom engine. I don't think yeah. it was even Unreal. Now, what comes down to is that these... Th- those two games, and that's why it's a little interesting to look at. Those two games are built on the engine that they built for Titanfall 1, which came as a partnership with EA. So in the case of Titanfall 1 and 2, which were both done before EA bought Respawn, right? they did that. Now... Apex, I haven't actually looked into since it's, I mean, it's a well-made game, but I wouldn't be surprised if Apex is on the same, uh, same engine. Source engine. The source engine. Oh, really? The source engine is, uh, Valve's? 
Yeah. Interesting. Is that what? Um, yep. Source engine. For Titanfall as well? Wow, that's nuts. For I Titanfall? did not know that, yes. Yeah, that is For surprising. Titanfall 2. So not an in-house engine, but Source. Wow, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, the other thing is kind of the lore. Like, this takes place, for those that don't know, in between episode 3 and 4. Oh, they have also confirmed that it's canon. That's 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 it. That's the thing I'm iffy about. And it's not that I have a problem with the game being canon. It's the way I have them going about the game being canon. So for those that don't know, they have this whole entire uh, animated series called Clone Wars, which is canon, and it takes place in the canon universe. There's Inquisitors in this trailer, and I'm pretty sure that those Inquisitors, they look better than they do in Clone Wars because like, I hate the art style of Clone Wars. Now, uh, you're talking about the second Clone Wars. That, that is fully 3D CGI. Full 3D, yeah, because yeah. that was the one that George Lucas came in and actually managed. And you know yeah, what? The show was actually well done. It's I don't, well done. but yeah. the, uh, the, I didn't care for the animation a lot myself. Yeah. I don't care for I mean, I'm, I'm fine with full 3D animation. But, but uh, uh, for anybody who was wondering why I was asking, is there was originally uh, Clone Wars that was done by the people that were behind Samurai Jack. That was also really cool. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, yes, I did. Uh, that show was what? What eight episodes? Yeah, it was very short. It was nine episodes, I and think, it was like a long time ago. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so. I actually re- really like that. That 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 show goes into how General Grievous got his chest it crushed awesome. and everything. Mace Windu crushed his chest. That's why he has his cough. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, yeah, that show, that episode, that was really good. I watched like maybe half of the first season of um, the newer one. Yeah, and it was okay. To me, like it had some cool story concepts and stuff. Yeah, well, I thought it was interesting that that at that point George Lucas came in and said, "Well, I'm going to make sure this show is real canon, and we're working on why." So, I guess your concern here is that when you already have one show that's dealing with these things, now we should clarify: you're talking about Inquisitors and all that stuff. The Clone Wars happened between Episode two and three. Two and three. Uh, so that's kind of the time period. Now, this game right here is taking place between three and four. Right. A really long empty for the most part outside of the extended universe the extended universe actually touched on that well i thought lot. you were gonna say it's really long from episode two no no, no. okay i was like no. wait uh no but in terms of the gap between episode three and when we get to a new hope uh that's a quite a long window that is untouched on in what's considered canon now because when disney purchased out the star wars uh or you know when they purchased out lucas in general and the star wars rights what they did was made the majority of the extended universe no longer canon. Yeah. It's like alt canon. It's like a separate thing where it's kind of like, well, it exists in its own little universe, uh, but we don't consider it canon moving forward. And that's how they were able to do what they did with the new film trilogy that they're doing and whatnot. But in this case, I think I get what you're saying is that you have one thing that's already considered canon that happens between there. So outside of that, you want to expound on like why that worries you? Is there something about the canon that's introduced in Clone Wars that bothers you with the canon that might be going on here? No, it's just there's always like... Honestly, this could have been left at a um, extended... Uh, what is that called in this new universe? Like it's extended... Um, the extended universe where it's like the Darth Bane books and stuff. Yeah. That stuff is no longer canon, but it's still part of the extended universe. So it still counts, but it, it's nowhere in the storyline. It counts in, in its own universe. Yes. It's like, a, uh, yeah, it's like the different media. I wish they would have done like that. I, cause it's very similar to a kin of, um, uh, Oh my gosh. A uh, not the Republic, not canon by far. And in the movies, and yet, it's still one of the. It is. I honestly would say that's the, those two games are the best Star Wars stories ever, followed up by the uh, the uh, Darth Bane books. Which I'm not talking about the movies. I'm talking about extended 
purposes. Um, Starkiller was close behind it, even though Starkiller 2, or not Starkiller. Um, Force Unleashed. Force Unleashed. The Force Unleashed was pretty good, but yeah. here's the biggest thing. Uh, do you want to finish that point? I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to interrupt you. No, point. yeah. Well, I, I am worried the way they're going to do this, uh, since it is part of the can- movie canon, there's not a lot that I feel like they can do. I don't feel like there's a lot of uncovered ground there that... It just depends on the time frame after three, I guess. If it's, Is it two years after three and is Vader finally risen? Is it because if you get so close or far away from three, you get to uh, the, you know, you're getting close to four and then Rogue One territory. It doesn't look like it's that territory at all. It looks like it's closer to three than Rogue One. And Rogue One, I think, is only like what? Technically, oh. like two or three months. And then at the end of the movie, it's like two or three hours before uh, A four. New Hope starts. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's this weird parallel that... I really kind of wish it wasn't canon so they could do whatever they want with it. But now they're bound by the Lucasfilms movies in terms of a story. You could have gone off the wall and crazy and done really cool stuff in this that would have abided by the extended universe instead. Because I, they once they pushed all those out, it, that pissed a lot of people, including me, off. Oh, I know. I know Darth a lot Bane of people. is one of the coolest storylines ever in Star Wars to me. And it, it's those books I've read probably four times all the way through, all three of them. And they're fantastic. Yeah. And they're even taking, I have a theory about the newest actual movie trailer that they're actually taking from one of those books. Well, um, people thought that already with Snoke too. No, 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 no. It's, it's something involving um, somebody dead. Yeah. But it's uh, okay. I don't know if you know, know what, what, what is it? Well, I, I, we'll talk about that again. Off this, 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 the movie's not even out yet. This is a fan theory. Uh, fine. I mean, I'm assuming. Let's see where you're going with this. One of the things that we know with the new movie, and this is going way off. We're losing the force for the trees, but we'll get back there eventually. It's all Star Wars. Uh, yeah, it's all Star Wars. But in that sense, uh, you know, the, the thing that's going on with the new movie is they're bringing Palpatine back somehow, somehow some way. Yeah. We don't know if he's dead, if he didn't really die. What's going on? Is he involved in some of the stuff that's already happened? Blah, blah, blah. We don't know. So where the Darth Bane thing comes into, wh- where's your theory with Darth Bane? Darth as it Bane, uh, when they go to his tomb, he's basically there because that's where he died. And it's an accumulation of evil Sith power. And that's pretty much what is going to be at Death Star is what I think. It's not going to be Palpatine, but it's accumulation of his dark power. And that's what manifests him. But he's not a ghost. He's not a force spirit. He's just there through the darkness Okay. Of the Force. I feel you. So, uh, the uh, the Mind Bomb, uh, which was also Darth Bane's thing, was really cool. And they could have pulled that off in the video game. They haven't yet. I'm kind of disappointed. So here's... I'm going to go look and buy all those books. Here's the reason that I don't think that what? it's necessarily bad. The biggest reason no, I'll say... No, I'm not saying bad. I'm I, just saying I'm iffy yeah, about it. you're iffy. It. I get, but I think the reason I'm not... I don't share the same concerns as you is the way I should say. Um, is that Knights of the Old Republic is a great example of a game that brought up that took place in the Star Wars universe and let you look at a lot of new characters. But what they did do smartly, in my opinion, is that the Knights of the Old Republic game did not try and concern itself to any existing characters. They weren't like, uh, I think this problem even happened with the Shadow of Mordor. They were like, well, we're going to throw in Smeagol and Gollum, whichever one you want to call it, but we're going to throw them in here. That's to the have wrong an, way to do I, non-canon. I, exactly. I, and I think that that's kind of, even, even as much as I love the Force Unleashed and it was a cool idea. It's not canon. It was still the idea of like, why, why did you need to pull in Darth Vader? It was, But that was cool. It was cool. I mean, it, it wasn't. But the reason I think I respect Knights of the Old Republic more is that they have a lot more freedom in not trying to work with movie-based characters. Yeah, because Freya never, never was uttered in the series, I don't think, except it was in 
Knights of the Republic. Ray, Ray, uh, Revan was, though. Yeah, so, Revan is a major component of the extended universe, including exactly. Knights of the Huge Old Republic. One. So, But what I mean by that is that the Knights of the Old Republic games, took a, they had a huge swath of the universe of Star Wars that doesn't normally get touched on because the movies have been so dr- so tied into the Skywalker area. You know, and that, that even happened with the new trilogy where everything's so Skywalker-bound that in this particular situation, it's like, well, when you're trying to pull in these characters, everything starts to gravitate towards Skywalker again. What's cool about this is that it looks like it's it's set in like an oppressive time period after the third thing where the Jedi are gone, they're not around anymore, and yeah. that to use the Force in a way that pulls from that is really frowned upon, and it looks like that's why the Inquisitors are there. It's like, no, no, you don't he do found. that. You, you don't do the... And it talks about it in the trailer. It's like everyone reaches out eventually. And it's like it's all implementing and kind of... Uh, implementing. It's all implying that it's all going to be about the Force, and then eventually he ends up getting a uh, a... a lightsaber and I thought that that was yeah, a cool way to go about doing the, it the final cut of the trailer it allows almost entirely this game to exist in a part of the uh, it's very similar to what Star Wars for anybody who uh, didn't remember it go check it out uh, 2012 or so maybe 13 they started talking about Star Wars 1313 I think is what it was going to be called yeah. Uh, and it was going to be a game that was set, and it was going to be like you taking place. And again, it was going to be that idea. It was going to be taking place in a time period that's unexplored for the most part. Yeah, that was in the old trilogy timeline, right? I think like wasn't it between so. like the supposedly the trilogy or the after um, Return of the Jedi up until um, the last Jedi? What is the, I, what I is the what is the first movie of the newest series called? An, of the new one? Yeah. Uh, the Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. And The Last yeah. Jedi is the last movie. Yeah. And now it's so, all Rise of a Skywalker. Yeah. So anyway. Spoilers, we haven't watched the trailer yet. Yeah. But what I mean by that is uh, when you're looking at these situations, it's like they're being able to use characters that aren't tied in the movie so intimately so that they don't have to try and pull this story at all towards anything of what the movies are doing. Instead, they get to kind of go towards. That's what I'm worried is going to happen. But but why are you worried that they're going to go into an area that has nothing to do with the movies? To no, me, no, that no, gives I'm worried them they freedom. are. Oh, okay. I got you. Because yeah. I think that going towards the movies, it gives. That's it, my whole point. It squashes their freedom. That, well, that's my whole point is that it's being part of the, uh, of the canon of the new movies. Well, I don't think it has to be part of the canon of the new movies, but I think they consider it canon. They're just saying that. The events of this game took place in the universe. Yeah. And that, that for no, that, that what, the game is at least doing it in a way that does doesn't conflict with anything. I think the reason a lot of the extended universe was kicked out is because it conflicted with some of the ideas they wanted to introduce. But what I'm worried about is that they're going to have to shoehorn stuff like Smeagol into the game that don't deserve to be there. Like Darth Maul might pop up or, um, I don't know anything. Fan service. Yeah, yeah too much fan servicing. I, and that's why I'm iffy about it. I'm not attacking the game. Oh, I get it. Or I, I don't it. think it's going to have that. I'm just, I'm really excited. I just think the, it's smart. The, the where art style is kind of cool. The yeah. art style is almost reminiscent of what I wished Clone Wars looked like. The 3D Clone Wars. Sure. Um, and they did a really good char- uh, job on character models. And I'm really excited for the game. But if, if the pessimism, the pest pessimism, if, yeah, if the, if the, pessimist in me i don't know why i can't say pessimist if the pessimist in me uh has any control over it 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 made me iffy of those two things um okay well now let's pivot the conversation over to what we were originally thinking about talking about the most interesting tidbits of this outside of the game itself because the, the game is very tied into star wars and if you're not a star wars fan there's that but what it comes down to is that one thing that's really interesting to look at here is that ea have bought completely respawn we know that respawn has been working on this game for a while so this could again be a situation where it happened too early in before the purchase of respawn that they didn't have the ability to force respawn to use or even the care to want to force respawn to use the much 
you know, uh, maligned uh, frostbite engine. But in this case, there's a couple of things I think is interesting here. So this is one of the first games that we're seeing announced and coming post Patrick Soderlund leaving. Right. So Patrick Soderlund was the guy who was originally part of DICE, uh, who developed the engine Frostbite for the Battlefield series. They thought it was a great idea, and this is kind of why we can talk about the business part of it, and I get why they do it. From a business side of things, uh, in the case of Unreal Engine here, they're having to pay to use Unreal Engines, uh, and they're having to, uh, you know, the, to use the engine, and then they'll have to pay some kind of a fee on the back end of it, most likely. Uh, I don't know how Unreal Engine does it specifically, but essentially they have to pay licensing fees, and it all ties into this. So when you're looking at these moving forward, what EA thought with Frostbite, whenever they originally made the decision to go ahead and pull everything into Frostbite, was... Well, what we can do is on every one of these games, the the primary benefit can happen in the fact that we won't have to pay any kind of licensing fees. All right, that's the first thing. The second thing is also a cool idea in on paper, but not in practice. The idea was that if every one of your developers is working on one engine, they're all slowly improving it. And with every game, everybody can pull from this a lot of assets and pull things they need into. So... Say you're making a racing game on EA and the first Need for Speed game that was on Frostbite, they're like, well, we figured out how to do traction system on the back end that deals with all that information. You just pull it into yours, tweak it as you need fit, and bam, there you go. You have one that works, and if you have problems with it, you have a group of people who made it and can help you with it. And then also at DICE, we have a primary team that works on the engine and continues to implement it who can help you with even more special requests. Now, again, on paper, all of that sounds amazing. It sounds like great. Everybody can be working on one engine that's slowly getting compounded and better and better, and we make the perfect engine across all of our things, and we can easily help each other. You know, yeah, very similar to what and Sony then you have the Battlefield Five thing going on. Yeah, sure. Now, which is kind of iffy too. What More happens? So what happens in these situations, uh, or what happened in that situation is, of course, they're trying to be business smart while also trying to find a way to make it sound good to the developers. EA heard over and over and over again of problems they were having with this and that, you know, uh, Jason Schreier just recently did a couple of articles where they were talking about throughout Anthem's development, you know, the DICE team, that's a, spe- a special team that's there to help in any kind of problems that you may have uh, with the engine or special implementations that you need to do for the engine exist, right? But it's a finite resource. And the bigger problem is, is that when all games use this thing and the primary games that they're going to be profiting from in this situation are going to be the sports games, FIFA primarily, really, and Madden. Yeah, I was going to say, um, FIFA is always going to be one of EA's biggest, if not the biggest EA Yeah, contender. exactly. So these are games that sell way more and get way more precedence because of how much money they're going to bring in, which ends up putting games like something like you know Anthem, even though it did surprisingly well number-wise, it's still no FIFA. And what it does is that it puts these type of games in the back burner and they go, well, we can't help you right now because we're overloaded with helping the FIFA team figure out their frostbite problems. And so it it, could, it just essentially makes a cadence you know, of problems that just continues to go down until the point where no, you have people hating the engine, in a, you know, working around this and trying to go, uh, don't want to work on this engine. Then you have people that are also trying to fight the fact that EA wants to monetize other games heavily. So what do we see? You know, Like we talked about with Anthem, I think, in, in a lot of games, Mass Effect Andromeda included, a lot of this seemed to come down to people who were specifically... Um, n- hating even further on the game or hating on the game without even playing it only because the EA namesake was tied to it. Now what happens in that situation is everybody looks at these and go, well, EA is synonymous for a number of things. Microtransactions, 
ridiculous DLC and, and dumb outward items that should have existed in the game. And of course, loot boxes, yeah. uh, which was a big scandal that happened throughout the, the, the time period of uh, battlefront two coming around where they got a lot of crap for it. Now, what we what have we seen EA keep trying to do? Every game they talk about here recently has been well, we're not doing microtransactions. We're not. We're not. We're not. Um, but then they find ways to kind of sneak them back in in ways that aren't completely. It's like they're the, not lying, they but they're like taking there, advantage. There wasn't going to be any Battlefield Five, and now there are. From what I understand, Battlefield Five is adding microtransactions, but what they're not doing is they they launched without them. I think completely, um, and then. They said that when they're adding them in, there will be none that are pay to win because the big, the big hullabaloo around Battlefront Two was that there were plenty that were pay to win. Well, and my whole thing is, is that when you think about it, what this, the nature of this game, it is okay. So just to give that, so Dice has confirmed that soon there will be premium only cosmetic items in Battlefield Five. Yep. So okay. still microtransactions, but again, no pay to win. So with the nature of this game, with it being a single player sci-fi game. Yep. If there was to be microtransactions, what you would expect would be things to help you level up and things that are going to impact the game to make them easier. Now, Very similar to what we see with Assassin's Creed going on yes. right now. Now, what my point to that is, is that there are two. I have two points that I think is going to hold true. Is that, A, if they come out anywhere near the time frame of the game launching which is exactly seven months from now, we are, the game's going to die. Nobody's going to buy the game. They're going to, everybody saw what EA did with Battlefront 2 and, and then the numbers compared to that. You could literally go to any store that sold video games and you could see multiple copies of Battlefront 2 hanging out just a week after launch. And I mean hundreds of copies our Walmart, they had an end cap display for nothing but Battlefront 2 for PS4, and it was full. It was like nobody was buying this game. The more casual person is not going to have that knowledge or information, so they're going to be the ones that are not going to know, and they're going to be the ones that buy it. So I think that they know, with their experience with Battlefront 2, they got to keep this franchise ready. I think Respawn's going to have a little bit there to kind of help out with. With Apex, Apex has cosmetics and such in the game. I don't see that really fitting in this game at all because what are you going to like? You're going to buy an outfit or like lightsaber colors. Like, that's something in my mind that doesn't work because the game should already offer that. Yeah. And, so, and definitely when people can compare to a game existing that already did it, which yes. was The Force Unleashed. Yeah. And so, my whole thing is, is that if the microtransactions come out near launch window, the game's going to die and nobody's going to buy it, including me. I'll boycott the game if that happens after they already said this. Um, just like I have Battlefront 2. I've not ba bought Battlefront 2, and I played a lot of Battlefront 1. But, to get to my initial point, if they're going to put something in the game that's going to help you level up, and it's going to be six months after the game, that's fine. Because Devil May Cry 5 is one of my favorite games of this uh, year, and it has stuff like that in there. There is completely, uh, completely, 100% avoidable. You don't have to buy those. You don't ever hit a grinding patch like you did in, in Assassin's Creed that you experienced. Yeah, and, and a lot of people, Which, it's yeah. not just me, because I know it's real easy for me to look and go, oh, well, I'm not a big fan of Assassin's Creed, so he's just complaining. No, I actually thought Odyssey was a pretty well-done game. The only problem I had was the pacing of what felt like reward to what I was doing. Right. But go ahead. And I, Well, I was going to say, that's that's I, I played all of Devil May Cry 5, and I and it's, and beat it, and I never once felt like I needed that. I never and it launched felt under with level. it. Right? Yeah, it launched with it. Um, so if it's those kind of microtransaction stuff, you beat the game faster or whatever, six months after launch, 
that's a different story. If they're going to start adding in, and then that, that's the shady business practices that, that could very well happen, though, is that they could add in stuff that is, here's your new leather coat, two ninety nine or something. It's like, I don't agree with that at all. But it's six months after the game came out, I already beat the game, and maybe you have the platinum. So, like, what am I going to do? Can't vote with your wallet then. So that's one of these always catch-22s. My best way to say this is to kind of base it off of what Apex is doing where they have cosmetics and such now, even though it's a completely 100% uh, different game. But you yeah, can kind of see... Yeah, free to play. Yeah. So it's a very different market. But you can kind of see their ethic, at least, with that game and how extreme they want to try to tip the scales with Apex. With the mo- one of the most popular shooting games on the market right now that competes with Fortnite, if they try to tip the scales of that game, you could go ahead and guess they're going to try to tip the scales of the Star Wars game. And I think they also know that they're getting well, so close. What do you mean by tip the scales? Are you specifically add, talking about toward broken. microtransactions? And yes. Stuff? I'm talking about like if they actually add pay to win aspects into Apex Legends or something. Okay. If. 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 Yeah. Because right now they've been very smart. They've and I have a point smart. that's around that that I'll keep in my head. But, but you it, continue. It's also kind of a hard point to make too with this involving the topic because this is an IP owned by Disney. And they don't want to lose that Disney IP. Because if they lose that Disney IP, they're going to be screwed. No Battlefront 3. Well, uh, no sequel to this game, whatever they have planned. And then now you're going to have developers like maybe Square or maybe even Lucasfilm, not Lucasfilms, LucasArts coming back to make a game, which I don't think they can. I think they got absorbed it with Yeah, NBA. no, they got closed down. The different one that opened up was different. But uh, is there anything else you want to bring up? No, I, mean, I, I kind of want to. Uh, so a couple of the things, and I know to an extent you were being hyperbol- like hyperbolic to the point where it's like no one's going to buy the game. So just a few points that bring up to, to contrast things. So the first thing is that a majority of I, I, I am with you. I understand what you mean is that there was a notable drop off from Battlefront two sales enough to be to where, yes, it, it hurt in comparison to what EA predicted and what they predicted based off of interest in the game. Also from trajectory of sales from the first game of what they should have been. So just to kind of give you the game sold 7 million in the same period that they, that they expected it to sell uh, eight million based off of interest in the game as well as the previous game's trajectory. So in that sense, it cost them a million sales. A million is nothing to scoff at, but it's also not like the game was supposed to sell eight million and sold two million. Saul so addressed that a little bit on his own because I will say you gave them the credit of there are people that just don't know, and yeah. then and then secondly, secondly there are people that just don't care. There are people, yeah, I was gonna say there are people who who buy the game. They don't care regardless because yeah. they're a Star Wars fans, and then b they are multiplayer shooter fans, and this is the big multiplayer shooter out. Yeah, and I, a perfect example of somebody who I don't think he bought it at full price, but uh, Liam in the Discord says over and over again he loved battlefront 2 from a gameplay perspective and i know a lot of people who like the first one and the second one they just wish that the second one didn't launch with all these problems um but with that said i think moving on to the next thing about yours um is yeah i do understand that ea is kind of looking and going well we don't want to lose the star wars thing and are the the star wars ip deal that we have the yeah, publishing agreements I, I, but the I, only reason that i don't know that that's necessarily a big reason for them in terms of a well, I guess in terms of a motivation for them to not screw up on this uh, is that Disney recently came out, and I don't know if you remember we talked about it, but Disney said that they were happy with EA and the performance of the uh, and the usage of the Star Wars IP uh, in their games. So obviously Disney is not as stressed or pushed about it as I thought. We I remember think hearing a statement back way back when about Disney not being happy with Battlefront Two. Nope. Yeah, across the board. I mean, Disney was. 
fine. They they talked about Disney and not wanting to, you know, they talked about they didn't want to put like a pink Darth Vader thing into Battlefront 2. So how do you put microtransactions to it? It kind of acted and sounded like an excuse as to why they went with pay to win things instead of cosmetics. Cause it's hard to do cosmetics because you have to make a sensible argument as to why you made a pink Darth Vader thing. Cause it's not lore accurate and all these things. And it seemed kind of reaching, but in the, in the grand scheme, yeah, Disney recently said they're happy with EA's usage of the, of the Star Wars license. So when you think about it in that sense, what it looks like to me is it looks like two things. Very similar to your two. But uh, two things. It looks like EA is wanting to get away from this thing about their name being synonymous with BS and people constantly thinking, oh, seeing the game and then wanting to strike or whatever it be, vote with your wallet and not get the game, not get the game. They don't want to see games fall by the wayside. They, I mean, of course, Anthem is partially their own fault and Bioware's fault and all these things. Nothing we can do about that. Uh, in a situation like this, though, I think they're leveraging on the fact that Respawn themselves right now is doing huge with Apex. Another game not made on Frostbite, didn't have any problems because of it, blew up overnight, free to play, has microtransactions, but they're fair from what everything we can see right now, and they're in line with the rest of the industry that has it, and it's on a free-to-play model, so it makes sense as to why it's there. And they're completely unneeded. You can play the entirety of Apex without it. I think they're looking at that. People are looking at Respawn in a really, really positive light right now because Apex is doing so well. Apex is doing well for EA right now. So EA thinks about the both of these things. What of our, what of our things, like, we can ride the fact that Respawn is doing really well and now we own them. So we can kind of utilize the fact that they're making a big game in one of the biggest franchises ever. We're doing it with a, a developer right now that's on a high because of Apex. Uh, so their name is synonymous with quality or at least what people like right now. We're doing it in a way where if we pull this off right, and I, I know you mean, you're saying like, you know, what if they add them six months later? And I agree that if they chose to do that route, uh, there's a mixture between people not caring because it won't be as fresh as around launch. And then secondarily for the people. Everybody's already bought it. For the people that have already bought it and beat it, it just kind of comes off as a what are you going to do about it thing? It's like, well, it didn't really affect me and I played it and beat it and I can't go back and do anything about it now anyway. Uh, so that does exist in terms of the possibility, but I think more so what it comes down to is that they don't want to add them at all because this is the one game that will sell well despite it. They don't need this for the monetary thing. If they do this right and make a great game, then they can turn around public opinion, still make a ton of money off the license, do so with the developers at an all-time high right now, potentially drive more people to Apex because they'll get the respawn name recognition if they didn't already know it. And people will be like, oh, they, they made Apex. Go play that. Jump on that. And then really the, the primary thing is that it does save their public opinion. This may be the beginning of them. And, you know, I my real question to begin with was, with this being on Unreal Engine 4, could this be the first time that we're seeing a game post Patrick Soderlund that's going to move away from only being frostbite and instead it'll be optional. You know what I mean? Right. If, if EA can go towards this thing and stop having every game that comes out that has problems, get this hit piece that happens. And I don't mean it in a bad way, but like Jason Schreier's piece that comes out and says, Hey, frostbite gave us hell. And it's part of the reason that why we had such a hard time getting this game off the ground, because even when we wanted to implement something, it took six months to implement Right. Uh, when any other engine, if we were working with it, we would have been able to do it in one to three months. It's like, so by the time that you get it implemented, they decided they don't like the idea and they change and go a different direction. That has its own effect. 
It does. And it has had effect on a lot of different games. If EA can have it to where no longer when a game comes out and it's kind of meh, that there's nothing tied to the fact that Frostbite was in somewhat re- relation to it, and instead it can just come down to maybe it was just um, developer... Um, well, I'm trying to even think of the, you know, de- the developer's fault or just being, you know... Negligent. Yeah, de- developer negligence, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, but in that situation, I think what it ends up bringing up is the fact that this could be the beginning of them no longer being, well, we're synonymous with bad games that end up, or games with problems, or even if they're not problems, they have a problem on the outer side of businesses like microtransactions. Well, and then secondarily you know, we'll, we'll lose the fact that every game made by frostbite is going to be a problem. If, if moving forward, the P, the FIFA developers are going, no, we're, we like frostbite and it's in a good spot. Battlefield is, will continue of course to be on frostbite because it was originally made for that. And it's what it's, it's useful for. If they make another battlefront, I would not be surprised to see it on there because it is a engine useful for something like battlefront. Um, and then moving on, maybe even Need for Speed will keep on it if they figured out where they are and they're comfortable with it. But then they let these other developers, like maybe Bioware's next game, whatever it ends up being, won't be forced to be, you know, Frostbite. And maybe they can get to a point where that's the first step towards healing some of these companies that had enough problems throwing Frostbite into another one just didn't help. If getting the people off Frostbite can be that one step in the right direction to get a, you know, to get the developers working together in a way that's easy and quick to iterate. They might be able to turn around some of the culture at these developers and hopefully turn them, turn the developers around to where we continue to get great developer names. Um, and then we also turn around our public opinion on EA and we don't get any more weird closures like we did with um, Visceral working on a Star Wars game that was also under Frostbite, which probably had its own problems on Frostbite. So, yeah, but. and, and I, I'm all for them saying this. Like, I, I really do think right now this may be – I may be beating myself up in the future, but I really do think that there is a good chance that with this being a single-player experience like this, we won't see that. It's hard to say, though, because Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of War had – I don't think Shadow of Mordor had it as extently as Shadow of War did. I know certainly Shadow of War did. I don't think I don't know honestly. I can't remember if Shadow of Mordor even had microtransactions. Uh, see that, but like, I know Shadow of War did, and they had loot boxes. Yeah, as well. so it's which one is of those... a, a symptom of of the what would you even call it, the market at the time? You know, a symptom of of gaming and where it's at in the industry at the time is that. People knew they could do it. It was a, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I mean, it's an interesting way to do it, and it's it a, wasn't necessary. But it was also just everywhere you looked in the game, it was somewhat notable. Right. You know? I think so, some games do it in a way. Well, and, and even when I say notable, I never felt like the game was demanding it of me. But they always they put it in my face enough times that I was like, eh. Yeah. So, and it's it's one of those things. It's like I'm rooting for the game because I like Star Wars and I like. Uh, I've been wanting a new Star Wars game. It's right for video Fire. games. I mean, it, yeah, it truly it is. is. So I, I'm rooting for it. So I'm really hoping that, I, that, that EA doesn't prove me wrong. I uh, will take my uh, $60 to this multi-million dollar company elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is all this going on. I know that you, none of y'all can see it, even if you're watching on YouTube. No, so- no do, not, <laughs> do not tell them what I am doing right now because it is not working right. I am not distracted. I'm actually in this conversation. Well, not even that. Has it been crashing? No, it's not been crashing. It's just this. I downloaded Kotor on my laptop, and the game is not made for a laptop compute like uh, control scheme. Control schemes like, and it keeps doing this weird thing, like where if I click the right click or left click, it just goes to home, but it's still there, and it's telling me the screen resolution is wrong, which is what I'm trying to change. But 
I'm just gonna go try this on my desktop whenever I get Salt home because I need a controller. That's what it needs. Is a this conversation has just led Saul to go. I want to play Kotor. Yeah, that's. Ex- I mean, that's exactly what I'm doing, and I think that's the message y'all should take away from this episode is that y'all should play that game too. Let us know in the comments <laughs> below what you thought, what you think, and what you guys are gonna do with the game. If you're gonna buy it, if you're gonna wait. If you think it's going to get microtransactions and we will, of course, see you guys again uh, next week for episode 108. Remember, every Monday at 10 a.m. PST, noon central. All right. And then keep your eyes open on social media platforms for the next communities take thing. It looks like where we're landing on right now is going to keep it up with it being a community question that we just put out every week and then discuss uh, before we get into everything else. So instead of going back an episode, we're going to keep it fresh and relevant for the episode we are currently filming at hand. Exactly. And uh, be sure that so, if you are in our Discord, you go ahead and throw your stuff out there too because obviously we're not going to get to every person who responds to us in community take, but that's the fun of it. You yeah, we choose picked. the ones that stand out. You may us. not get picked, but yep. it's going to feel special when you do. With that said, this has been Tranquil Square. Thank, Thank you. You guys. Thanks to our patrons, Chad V, Dan Barber, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Douglas Blow, Sean Santarude, Eric McAllister, Matt Sycamore, Shadowists, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Blake Popst, Eduardo Palomino, Stephen Swanlin, Coy Live, Philip Laguerre, and newly added, Mr. Justin Rowe. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do so by going to the link in the description. Thank you. Thank you, guys.